folks, last week you might have heard some tale of this idiot who was getting ready to try and free solo an entire vertical mile of rock climbing in one day and thought to yourself, what in the hell did that idiot get himself into? Well, you're in the right place, my friends, because this idiot is about to tell you exactly what he was thinking. So throw your rope in the closet where it belongs. Grab a chalk bag for your sweaty, sweaty palms. Because the Mile of Mojo is about to begin! Woo! So, um, on this big mile day, I uh, had a lot to keep track of. I didn't want to fuck up and be robbed of my uh, accomplishment by an accounting error or something like that. So I brought a notebook with me for two reasons. I wanted to make sure I didn't climb the same route twice. Um, and I didn't want to lose track of my total mileage. So I wrote them both down and... Uh, just for kicks and grins, I wrote down the time that I returned to my notebook after each climb. And I never really thought about that too much until recently. By which I mean 15 minutes ago as I was getting this episode ready. I uh, was looking at these times and I was like, I wonder how long it took me to do each climb. Mind you, these roots are our full-blown multi-pitch between three and five pitches, and about half of them, from my notebook, down to the base, up the climb, back to my notebook, sorry for bumping the microphone there, so notebook, base, climb, notebook, that little circuit, notebook to notebook, took, oh shit, for like seven of them, it was right around the 30-minute mark. Wow. Wow. The longest one took 50-some-odd minutes. Man, I was hauling more ass than... No, I'm not going to make an analogy for this one. That way lies madness. People come after me with pitchforks. We're going to leave that one alone. Anyway, so I had this notebook, and um wanted to keep track of tempo and reference for later, and... So, um, my average time per route was 41 minutes, notebook to notebook. So, picking back up where the story left off last time, I was feeling kind of nervous. I had the jitters, and I had to shake them off. Well... You don't want to ignore your instincts. You know, I shook them off, but you don't want to ignore them entirely. They're absolutely essential to your survival. But at the same time, you don't want to let them rule you. I woke optimistically in the morning and was buoyed through the approach by the presence of a friend, but ultimately, once I was left alone, that confidence faltered. Even though it had returned, I didn't want to throw that initial feeling away entirely. An initial feeling of discomfort, that is. Um, so I set myself towards a route, which was relatively on point, straight off the deck. That way, if I really wasn't feeling it, it would tell me to back off very fast, and I would. 
And then the next couple of pitches were relatively easy. So if I got through the hard part and decided I wasn't in for it, well, the finish was easy. I wasn't really in for it for the finish. It was only like my five, six through the finish. Really mellow, big buckets. So that was the idea. I figured the small holds on the first pitch would begin readying my fingers to pull hard later, and the two easy pitches to the top from there would let me move fast and stretch the body out and raise my heart rate for a proper warm-up. Toxic shock, 5'9", 350 feet. The crux is about 80 feet up, and I've never climbed it with a rope yet. I've only ever soloed it. One route, 45 minutes, 350 feet accumulated, completed, 8.37 a.m. John tells me that I have to report this next one as an on-site. I'd rather call it maybe free solo red point, or perhaps on-site-ish. I've never tried it without with a rope at all. But I attempted the on-site solo two years prior and backed off just before the crux 40 feet up. The mile day was only the second time I'd ever tried the route, and it was only the first time I'd ever tried the crux, and the upper pitches were all completely unknown. Forty feet off the ground, I made a hard lunge to a small but positive crimp. From there, I slammed my hands into deep jams that alternated between thin and perfect. The climbing was physical, pumpy, and overhung. I carried the fatigue of that low crux with me through another hundred feet before the relentless overhang turned to sub-vertical 5-7 meanderings to the top. That first pitch was really an exercise in mental control. Yet on my previous attempt, I had gotten to the setup for that crux lunge. And I looked at it, and I was like, fuck, my, my instincts were like, fuck that. So I was like, fuck that, and I down-climbed straight to the floor about 30, 40 feet of down climbing. No big deal. Because um, I knew when I made that move, there was no way I'd be able to reverse out of it. It was extremely committing. And I didn't have the experience or the boldness to say, no, nah, I've definitely got this, even though I had never climbed it. But after a couple of years and some increased fluency on the rock, I knew that I could say this 510 overhung crack is something that I can reliably on-site. And so I did. And the whole time after I made that one move, it's in the back of your head that you're committed. But you can't really worry about that, so I just let go of it and focused on moving forward. All in all, uh, so this route was called Super Crack, 511D, 400 feet long. And uh, due to the time, you know, whenever you're on sighting something, it takes a little bit longer. This one took 56 minutes, notebook to notebook. Two routes, 750 feet, 9.33 a.m. next route is one that I had on-sighted with a rope the day prior. 
and uh, there's a bolt protecting the click, uh, the crux, which I clipped from the crux holds instead of the resting hold that you're supposed to clip from. Um, so I used idiot beta while hauling a double rack up to number three camelots. Well, once I quit acting like an idiot and ditched the gear, it felt 5.7. It was so good. And that's how it should be feeling if you're soloing. If it feels harder off the rope than it did when you were protected, you've made a terrible mistake, and you need to rethink the horrible decisions which brought you to this place. But for me, it was perfect. 10 out of 10. Absolutely would repeat. Full tilt boogie. 511 plus. 300 feet. 43 minute. Crux at 250. Three routes. 1,050 feet. 10.16 a.m. I love this next climb, but when I was first trying to uh, find it, I climbed the wrong damn route entirely. Uh, I found the correct route with John the day prior to the mile day, and it's got super classic climbing. Once again, it felt more comfortable once I ditched the rope. This lap was absolute peace for me. It had a couple of V2 boulder moves on crisp edges before a, a good resting uh, ledge followed by jugs to the top. 300 feet off the floor. Absolutely sublime. Pinball Wizard. 511. 300 foot tall. 28 minutes. In total, crux at 250. This gave me four roots. 1,350 feet. And it was 1044 AM. to another one which I had actually on-site soloed a few years back, and it went quite well back then. It was a major milestone in my climbing, but on this day I could really feel my progression as a soloist. All the footholds just felt larger. Um, that's one thing. Hands are what they are, but feet are what get really scary when you're soloing. So if you can stick your toe rubber on something and feel more solid on it, that is a, a, a tremendous sign of progress. This route's called Julia. It was 510B, 500 foot long, 36 minutes, 5 routes, 1,850 feet, 1120 AM. All right, everybody, I do believe I've been yammering on and on and on about the details of rock climbing for long enough here, so it's time we take a break for rock music. Ready, set, BAM!
This next is one that I uh, top rope soloed to rehearse uh, some months or years prior. I don't, I don't know. My memory is like a sieve. If I didn't write it down, good thing I wrote all this down. Well, and I'd been soloing it ever since then. So top rope soloed, and then I turned it into regular soloing. Super classic climbing. The crux begins about 30 feet off the ground. I've never led this route. It's called Help Mr. Wizard, 511A. 400 feet and 35 minutes consumed. Six routes. 2,250 feet. 11.55 a.m. So for my next trick, I went to a route called Straight and Narrow. But there was already a party mid-lead when I arrived. Passing them would have been utterly rude. No amount of Snickers could have patched that one up. Uh, plus, I didn't really want to risk anyone falling on me. So, uh... I hollered up at him and asked where the start of construction job was. It's a 5-9, I moseyed over that way, started up the route, and... For whatever reason, I've never really been a big fan of this climb. It's really classic, but maybe I just keep finding all the wrong moves. Whatever. I stopped on a rock midway up the wall, and... I checked Mountain Project on my phone. Yeah, I'm sitting on a rock, 200 feet up, looking at Mountain Project on my phone. I knew that there was this alternate finish at 511B, where I could break out left on this... It's a crack going up and left at about a 45 degree angle, finger size. I look gorgeous. The uh, Mountain Project notes said, big moves on big holds. <laughs> Don't threaten me with a good time. So, I detoured up and left up that seam and got rowdy. It had two 511 minus cruxes 250 feet off the ground. On sighting this, still to this day, counts as one of the most rad things I've done in my climbing career. At least in terms of generating stoke for my own self. On site free solo, Golden Rule 511B. 400 feet, 48 minutes. That crux that I onsighted was 200 feet off the floor. Just wild exposure, completely vertical. Seven routes, 2,650 feet, 12.43 p.m. By this point, Andy Toms had arrived with his camera. Last time I happened to bump into him, he got some great shots, so I saved most of the routes that are visible to hikers until he arrived. Built to tilt felt the easiest it ever had, and by this point, I'd become entirely comfortable soloing in the steeps. I've climbed this route once with a rope, and have been soloing it ever since. This is the moment where Andy captured that fantastic shot where I'm hanging one-handed from a roof 300 feet above the valley floor. You know, the one that I'm using for my logo. It looks a stream enough on its own, but the truth is often stranger than fiction. That photo was taken eight routes into the day after accumulating a half mile of vertical over six hours of non-stop motion. Built to tilt. 30 minutes. That brought me up to 8 routes, 
2,750 feet, and it was 1.13 p.m. After traveling through the other three routes in the tilted world, I had looked over at Tommy Gun enough times to know it would be casual, especially without the weight of a rack and rope. And besides, if it turned out awful, I could always bail on one of the other variations to get up top. No big deal. Nevertheless, when I pulled on, it felt absolutely peaceful and relaxed. All the roof jugs of full-tilt buggy, boogie with none of the cruxing. I didn't know any better. I'd have said it was 5'7". On-site solo, Tommy Gun, 5'10", 31 minutes. So that's nine routes, 3,200 feet, 1.44 p.m. All right. There's plenty of daylight left, and I've just completed an El Cap day already. At this point, all the 510s are behind me except for straight and narrow. I was a bit tired, but I was cruising on momentum knowing that anything really difficult was already completed. This particular route I had on-site soloed a few years ago, and I've only climbed it with a rope while guiding friends up the route. This is where the cramps kicked in. About 200 feet off the deck, my biceps began bending back into my chest after each move like a T-Rex arm. I... Luckily, it happened in the, the very last part of it, and I cruised through the indie easy finish and shook them off on the way down. Dopey Duck, 350 feet, 32 minutes. 10 routes, 3,600 feet, 2.16 p.m. The next one went very slowly. While I had... On-site soloed it two years prior, and still never have roped up on it. Um, and that meant it was easy, but it also meant I hardly remembered anything about the climb. I picked this one to go next because I was worried about those cramps. The crux was fingery and very close to the ground, maybe only 20 feet up. Given that I'd shaken the cramps off on my run back to the base of the wall... I knew that I could get through that 20 feet before the cramps came back. So after about 115 feet, my biceps started springing back into my chest like they were on springs. Yay for redundancy. And luckily, I knew how to deal with that after horseshoe hell. So I started climbing slower making sure to twist my body and use technique to deload my biceps, stretch them out by rolling at the shoulders and twisting at the hips to make forward progress up the wall. That worked like a charm. I got rid of my bicep cramps entirely and replaced them with cramps in my obliques instead. I didn't even know you could get cramps in your obliques. <laughs> so I went back to climbing on my biceps until the they cramped up again, and then I reverted back to twisting motion until my obliques cramped up again. Um, all this while dusting loose pebbles and lichen off of every single hold. I mean, every, every, every hold was just covered in this mossy, mossy green stuff, so 
my bicep would cramp up. So I'd twist my hips, hang on my right arm, reach up with my left, dust the hold off, sink my fingers into it, twist at the hips, start brushing the next one off, then finally sink into it. And then my obliques would cramp up, so I'd use my biceps and sit there locked off, brushing the next hold off, and then I'd sink my fingers into it, pull on the bicep, and brush the dust off the next hold, scrub it back and forth and squish my fingers into it, then my bicep would cramp up and, you know, repeated that the whole way up. So, while the route is only 350 foot tall, this took me 42 minutes to complete. Um, even though it's one of the shorter distances from the notebook and one of the shorter distances of a climb, looks like I had about 10 extra minutes in there of just dealing with my own muscles fighting me. Uh, it's 350 feet, man, the crux was... Yeah, yeah, shit. Crux was the whole fucking thing because of the shenanigans I was having to put up with. Um, 11 routes. 3,950 feet, 2.58 p.m. At this point, I took a lunch break dance party of about 15 minutes to down some extra snacks and extra water. I wasn't quite out of the woods yet. I had one more climb of difficulty to contend with, and it was a steep one. But after throwing back a bunch of snacks and some drinks and sitting there and relaxing. I ran down to it, flowed through the first pitch, arrived fresh at the crux, and flowed through it like water. I sprinted up to the top, and the bicep cramps didn't know they needed to catch me until the last 50 feet. This was the big moment. The last hard climb was done. Now I just had to stay motivated and keep moving. With three hours left till sunset and three routes remaining, I knew the day was won. Straight and narrow, 510A, 400 feet. One hour and nine minutes from notebook to notebook, including the dance party, mind you. So that's uh, 12 routes, 4,350 feet, 4.07 p.m. try and get rid of those bicep cramps and to be able to climb without pulling on things. I'd saved a couple of stemming roots for later in the day to use as sort of midday active recovery. Maginot line, a 400 foot 5.7 plus, took 36 minutes. That put me up to 13 routes, 4,750 feet at 4.43 p.m. Little corner, is a 500-foot 5.6. This took 42 minutes. That put me up to 14 routes, which gives me 5,250 feet of climbing, 5.25 p.m. You know, I could have thrown it in right, right now. A mile is 5,280. 
I mean, that's basically it. I could have gone and done 80 random feet and called it good, but I went for another lap. One last lap to cap off the day. Given the burly lie backing, it probably wasn't the uh, smartest finish on account of my aching biceps, but it was the most poetic. Paradise Alley was the first thing I ever climbed in Linville Gorge. The first thing I ever climbed at Short Off. And it was my first solo at Short Off. And my first multi-pitch solo on the East Coast. Paradise Alley was the first time I'd shared a rope with Lohan. Good friend of mine. Good guy. He's helped me out a lot in the years with root suggestions and stuff like that. In other words, I've made a lot of personal firsts and personal friends on this route. So I saved it for the last route of the day. I crossed the mile marker on the way up the first pitch, and it continues to hold a special place in my heart. The first time I climbed this route, I surveyed the world around me, and I just knew that fun times would be had here. Little did I know just how much fun was in store for my future. Short Off Mountain is pure magic, and this route is my entry to the magic. Paradise Alley, 5'8 plus, 450 feet, 47 minutes, put me up to 15 routes, 5,700 feet at 6.12 p.m. I've always said about 10 hours, but I've never actually calculated it. Um, I guess it was 11 hours, because I started at like maybe like 10 and a half or 11 hours. That was a pretty good day. Well, um, anyway, climbers are um, terrible at math. That's why I did the, that's a large part of why I did the extra root and threw it in there. Um, root lengths are never quite measured accurately, so who knows if it's actually 5,700 feet, but it's a mile plus. I mean, all that I know is that I've certainly covered enough rock to secure the full vertical mile, even if some of them turn out to be shorter than advertised on the mountain project or uh, the guidebook. After eight years of dreaming, I didn't want to be robbed of my goal through a damned accounting error. For those of you who like to talk in uh, pitches per day, I'm afraid I don't have a number for you as I still haven't rooped up on the vast majority of these routes, but um, if a pitch is 100 feet, it's 57 pitches. If uh, you're at Vertical Endeavors in Glendale Heights, where the walls are 33 feet tall, I guess this would be 171 pitches. Who the fuck knows? So, a note on on-site soloing. 
I actually on-site soloed a couple things on this trip, and I've on-site soloed several things at this location. In particular, I uh, on-sited a legitimate 511 multi-pitch climb with Golden Rule. That felt pretty special to me. If you climb 511 in your favorite style, you can walk up to almost any crag and expect to have uh, to find lines that you can climb and have fun. If you can on-site 511, you can really expect to have a good time at any crag you visit, even if you're far from home and you don't have time to work routes. Um, my preferred style is free solo multi-pitch, so being able to on-site solo a 511 multi-pitch route was a beautiful thing, because it means that I can have fun at any new crag that I visit. It's not that I expect to be able to on-site solo any 511, that would be sheer hubris. Um, and I'm actually not a complete idiot, as much as I joke about it. I mean, hell, there's 5.8s out there I wouldn't be caught dead soloing, let alone on-site. That's what makes it unique. It must be practiced much more carefully, so it's a rare achievement. I don't expect to on-site 511 multi-pitch climbs with regularity, yet, but the fact that I can do it on rare occasions means that I'm able to have more fun on my own terms. It's particularly special because on-site soloing is much less likely to succeed compared to a regular solo. With most solos, I have a pre-flight checklist of sorts. It just sort of has to feel just right, and there's numerous preconditions required so that I know that I can climb the moves no matter what happens on the way up. For on-site solos, it's more of an in-flight checklist. When on-site soloing, I have to go forward with the assumption that a fucked-up move awaits me high on the wall. You know, it's the worst-case scenario. So the calculation changes drastically. When on-site soloing, I'm not asking myself if I can climb the moves effortlessly. I'm asking if I can down-climb them effortlessly. That way, if I find a fucked-up move high on the wall, I can still get back down to the ground safely. Since down-climbing is harder than up-climbing, it's much more likely that I'll veto an on-site solo partway up due to the, the weight of that notion, and then I'll just reverse to the ground and flip at the good old one-finger salute. After all, the purpose of any solo, ultimately, is to get back down to the ground safely. Sometimes that means sending, topping out, and walking down. Sometimes that means reversing your moves and choking on your pride. Well, hopefully your pride hadn't become enough of an issue that you have to choke on it at that point, and you just kind of giggle and climb back down like, whoops, guess we're not doing that one, but y y'all know what I mean. Sport climbing is a different discipline from gym climbing, and it requires a different evaluation of risk. Trad is different from sport, and multi-pitch is different from both of those. And bouldering is yet another discipline with its own unique risk assessment. Free soloing is just another discipline. It has its own evaluation of risk, and on-site free soloing is a separate discipline from the usual soloing of rehearsed routes. You know, whereas on-site trad and regular trad are two flavors of the same thing, 
I think it would be fair to state that soloing and on-site soloing are two different genres. And so on-site free soloing being a separate discipline from usual soloing of roots that you've rehearsed, it has its own different rules for risk assessment, etc. And in other words, if you are practicing it correctly, it should not be any more risky than rehearsed soloing, only different. Final notes. Eight years spent dreaming of NAR, logging onto the internet and checking every news source for the latest and greatest in climbing. I had never had to set my homepage to the climbing narc, because I'd go to the website five day, times a day anyhow. Every time I go into REI, my mind starts to wander, and as I'd start to dream of the NAR again, I'd pick up another copy of Climbing Magazine and Rock and Ice. I'd usually buy them at the same time because I was so, uh, just entirely too stoked. So, I'd always be hoping to hear of the next, newest, gnarliest solos. These days, it seems that I'm not just dreaming of NAR. I'm living it, at least a little bit. I'm currently doing the things that I was reading climbing magazines to hear about. All those things that I once labeled as impossible makes me dizzy if I think about it too hard. Like, I'm not on the bleeding edge of soloing or anything, but I'm just doing the kind of things that I dreamed about. That's fucking trippy. Great quote from Michael Reardon. If you don't solo... You'll never get it. But once you have soloed, you get a piece of it. Once you've soloed a lot, now you've really got a piece of it. Once you solo every day, now you understand it. Now you've got it. There's a continuum. Climbers who've done a solo, those who solo, and then there's the soloists. The soloist progresses in climbing with a focus on mastery. We don't just want to get by on the moves we make, we want to own them. Three years before this mile day, I'd admitted that I was a soloist, not merely one who solos. I'm not getting stronger to red point harder and harder things. I'm getting stronger because I want to feel more and more relaxed in a broader variety of more difficult terrain. That is the end goal. Because of that, in the past three years of practice, I felt on this mile day that I was finally starting to get this whole soloing thing. Once again, that's the toughest part. Admitting that you have a goal and committing to it. Once you do that, the rest falls into place. Because once you have a target, the choices you need to make to get there become clear. And it all started 10 years ago, well, 12 years ago for me now, but 10 years before that mile day, falling and failing on 5.8s at the climbing gym. Because of that, I often said that I have no natural talent. Nothing in climbing has ever come easy to me. Everything I've gained has been hard won through blood, sweat, and tears. But I put in the work, and I earned every last bit of it. I just never stopped never stopping. Then, in Yosemite, it was all taken away from me in an instant. 
what it turns out, if you're determined enough and dedicated enough, you just keep putting that work in, and you can get a lot back. It might not be the same as it was before, but that's just because you have a new starting point. I still have no sense of equilibrium, and I'm still deaf in my left ear, but I'll be damned if I'm going to let those things stop me. You know, it's taken a lot to convince me of it, and I'm still not sure of it. But maybe I do have a talent after all. My talent is drive and determination, which is fortunate, because that's a talent that can be shared and given freely. My main hope is that I can use this mojo to help others. That's why I've started this podcast. I firmly believe that if I can achieve my goals, when I started off as such a steaming pile of mediocrity, you can too. The only thing unique about myself is my drive and my determination, and I'll give away every ounce of that I can. Speaking of drive and determination, I wasn't alone on this trip. If y'all remember, John came along for his own mojo mission. We're going to catch up with John on the next episode. Um, I have my little notebook up by my pack, and after uh, after uh, my 10th or 12th climb, something like that, I come up to my notebook, and his little bag is sitting there. And I see in my notebook, someone wrote, Fuck yeah! up in the top corner. I was like, oh shit, John must be here. So I ran down, did another lap. I came back. His pack was gone. And that's it. And a couple hours later, I got back to the truck to find him passed out in the bed spooning his backpack. I never did really grill him about that day, but I think this would be a pretty good excuse to do so. So I'm going to test out my uh, Skype interview rig on the next one. Yeah, that's right. This is a three-part episode. We're leaving you on another cliffhanger. (laughs) 